a few years ago, look, go through the book of Revelation. Does anybody remember me going through that? I try to think it's before COVID. That's like COVID is the benchmark, I think. That's why I go, okay, it was, so it's, it's been, I think it was 2019. Um, so it's definitely a very, very much a relevant book. Now, that series, when we went through the book of Revelation, we didn't go through each letter. I think that we had mentioned it. Um, but I've gone through this series of the letters of Revelation 2 and 3 uh, years ago, I can't, before I recorded these, before YouTube. So it's been 8, 9, 10, 100 years ago. I have no idea. But when I think about Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 especially, the whole thing, it, when you study the book of Revelation, you open up a can of worms because there's a bunch of different theories and thoughts and uh, beliefs. And do you guys know that? You know, you read the entire, you know, even the letters of the book of Revelation, chapter two and three are debated. You know, what they represent, what they mean, you know, is every church, like the church of Ephesus is, is the global church being this part. So we're not going to get into that part. What I want to get into is when you read them for what they say, they're, they're a, they're encouraging and B, they're challenging and, and C, they're helpful. And so if you're here and you're watching, we've been going in Mark for a long time that I almost hate going, going away from the life of Jesus. But then once you go into the book of Revelation or any book for that matter in the New Testament, the, the main character is Jesus. But when you go to Revelation, you have Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the revelation. Jesus is the one that showed up to John the apostle. And so you're going to love this. We call it Dear Church. Because it is a letter to these seven, when they first came out, when they first, when, when Jesus said, write down in a scroll everything that you see and then give it to these seven churches. It wasn't at that point just to give to these seven churches. It was, they were taken and they were given to these seven churches and then they were given to every church in the area. And at the beginning, from the beginning of, of this writing, people knew it was the word of God. It was scripture. Okay, they didn't take it as just a common letter to a pastor to his church. This was a letter from God to the church. And I'm talking about the capital C. And I love this. Um, I'm kind of curious, how many of us have ever read, the, for yourself, the seven letters of Revelation 2 and 3? You guys like it? I love it. Because I read it and I can identify myself in some good areas and bad areas and go, ooh. So it's convicting, it's challenging, it's encouraging, and it's helpful. How you like that? Just throwing those things out. That's what it is. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the seven uh, churches and the seven letters of the church of Asia Minor. That's, if you couldn't read that, it's Asia Minor. And it's modern day Turkey. Okay, there's Corinth. Okay, Rome is off the screen. But but um, I want you to look at the screen here. It's interesting because the letters are in order from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, they're, they're are in order according to their location in your book of Revelation. And I love this because these churches are not that far away from where John's uh, physical body is. He is still alive when he's writing this, of course. He's not dead. And that's the that's part of the problem is these the, the, the people of the world are trying to kill and, mar and have him martyred, but he simply won't die no matter what they do. So they throw him on an island, Patmos. And he, he's actually very well known with the church in Ephesus. 
And so the very first letter is to the church in Ephesus. We're going to read that today, but we need to go a little bit of some background. And what you need to know about the book of Revelation in whole, from chapter 1 to the very end, it's, it is one letter, okay, to these seven churches. It's not just these seven letters that are passed around. It's the entire thing. Okay, and what you have in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, starting with chapter 2, there were no chapters, is you have specific exhortation to these churches, okay? If you're a church in Ephesus, the pastor's going to come up and he's going to unroll a scroll of this entire letter and he's going to say, this is to us. He's going to, the pastor's going to Ephesus, he's, he's standing up in front of his congregation, he goes, you guys ready for what Jesus said to the apostle John? And he starts reading it. Then they all go, amen, pastor. And then he'll read the one part where it's a correction and they go, no amen, pastor. You stop doing that. You rolled that scroll back up and you put it back in your pocket. We don't want to see. No, they, 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 they took it to heart. But the book of Revelation is huge because it was a personal letter from Jesus to, according to John himself, the beloved disciple. Jesus' favorite disciple, if he had one, would be John who laid upon Jesus on his chest as they're having Last Supper. That's how close they were. And so Jesus, 62 years after Jesus' resurrection on, in 95 AD, so the Apostle John, John the Beloved, John the Revelator of whatever you want to call him, he is an old man. He's wondering, and he remembers the words of Jesus, you know, people, the, the rumor was that John would never die. Because Jesus said, if, it, if, he, if I don't want him to die, what's that to you? Remember that? It's just a very interesting thing. So he felt like he was going to live forever. And the reality is, he's an old man. He's on an island, which I look at the pictures of the island. I would love to go there. It's a beautiful place. But he's not there for vacation. He's going there in isolation. Because, again, what happened to him is they're trying to kill him. He won't die. Why are they trying to kill him? For preaching the gospel. Okay, these days you can preach the gospel and everybody's making fun of you. That's the worst you can get, at least in our country, okay? But in some countries, you proclaim the gospel, they're going to arrest you and kill you. And then they said, okay, we're going to boil you in oil. So they got the big pot of oil and it's boiling, and they take John, they throw him in there, and he's not getting hurt, and he's still preaching Jesus if, in the middle of oil. How many of us would want to do that? Okay, he's taking this hot oil bath, and it's not burning him, and he's preaching, and no, no matter what they do, he's not dying. So they say, what can we do with him? We need to get rid of him. And he lived in Ephesus, and so they went to the nearest place, Patmos, and they said, I want you to go on the island, and I want you to do like the castaway movie. I want you to live there by yourself. Don't build any ships. Don't build any boats. Don't build rafts. You're going to stay there. And that's where, when he was on there, Jesus showed up. A lot of people say Jesus is angel, okay? Um, either way, somebody showed up. I personally believe that it was Jesus Christ himself. Why do I say that? Because the Apostle Paul that happened in 35 AD, the Apostle Paul had Jesus himself show up physically, like his resurrected self show up and said, you know, why do you persecute me? So it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it's not too far-fetched to think that at 95 AD, Jesus shows up. Because if you think that Jesus is tied to, the, to heaven, that's it. He's bigger than heaven. He's everywhere, okay? So if, when he showed up to John, he said, everything that you see, I want you to, I want you to share, I want you to write it down, and I want you to give it to these seven churches, okay? Seven churches, and these churches 
Why is it? Why these seven churches and why not Jerusalem? Why not? Well, these seven churches were very, very strategic location-wise. Okay, this is on the major trade route from Jerusalem because in, in, in uh, Alexandria and in, in Egypt, you go all the way up there and through these churches, there's a main road that goes to these towns and it's in a trade route. So these churches are very strategically located to reach the world for Christ. So it would, it would be very beneficial for Jesus himself to show up and to encourage the church and say, don't give up. You're doing these things well. But then five out of seven, he had to say, even though you're doing these things well, there's something I have against you. How many of you guys know that when Jesus has something against you, you're not in the right spot? Something's up. And the worst thing that we could do when Jesus is against you is go, you, you run away like, like, like a school girl, you know, running away. Oh, I'm scared, right? No, the best thing is to, okay, Lord, I admit that I'm wrong. Because how many of us, it's easy to admit you're wrong? Not me. Even though I know I'm wrong, to admit it, it's a whole other ball game. But if you can go, if we can go before God and say, okay, Lord, you, you showed us some correction. Now help me go through this correction. That's, I believe that's what the church in Ephesus did. Um, the church of Ephesus has a huge history. The apostle Paul planted it and he had his, he had his protege, his son in the faith. Timothy was the pastor. Until, according to history, Timothy died, and then the apostle, the elder John, we call him John the Elder, he was an old man, and people look, looked up to him as the remaining apostle of Jesus. You knew Jesus physically. You saw Jesus physically. And he taught the church in Ephesus until he was sent to Patmos, and then they had another pastor. And so these seven letters were written down and compiled in a large letter that we call the book of Revelation. Now, how many of us have ever read the entire book of Revelation? Okay. Is it the easiest book to read? No. Is it interesting? Yeah. Is it relevant? Absolutely. Because you start seeing yourself in the book of Revelation. Then you start seeing countries in the book of Revelation. Then you start seeing situations in the book of Revelation. And so it is very relevant to this day and age. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be, we're going to read it. We're going to be blessed according to the scripture, we're going to be encouraged and we're going to be challenged. Okay, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be helpful. And so let's begin not with the letter, but let's open up the letter of Revelation in chapter one because there's some a few things I want to say before we get into the letter that will help you see uh, for yourself how, how real this really is, how helpful it's going to be. Uh, Revelation chapter one, verse two through four says, it is the word of God. Okay. What is? The book of Revelation. It's now, it sounds like Joel Osteen holding up a Bible. This is my Bible. It is the word of God. Right? This is, but it's true. John wants you to know from the get-go in verse 2 that what you're reading is not, and we should know this, but it's got to be said from the pulpit, as what we're reading is not good. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion. It is the word or the commands of God. It is the message from who? Jesus Christ. Okay, so when they are when the when the church of Ephesus first roll unrolls the scroll, they go, "Okay, church, this is not from the apostle John. This is from Jesus." Okay, the our, our elder John, he, this is not from him. This is from someone even greater than him. We better pay attention. Okay, blessed is the one who reads the word of God's message. 
which is true about the entire Bible, but it's all, but he's being specific about this book. You're blessed when you read the Bible, but when you read the book of Revelation, when you read this book, this letter, you are blessed. And blessed are the people who hear this message. There's two things that you need to be aware of, that we need to be aware of. You Blessed are those who hear the message and do what's written in it. Lean forward and say, Jesus, what do you have to say to the church? And then do it. Blessed are those who are actually not only hearing it, but doing it. The time is near when all of this will happen. Jesus has his funny sense of timing. <laughs> That's 2,000. Hey, I'll be right back. Don't take a nap. I'll be right back 2,000 years later when he still hasn't showed up. The reality is, if you just lean your, your heart a little forward, and every generation said this, but I'm going to join in that genera- another generation that we're closer now than we ever have been. Okay? Now here it is, from John. Dear church, that's what you could say, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and is coming. Who's he talking about? Jesus, yep. Okay, from John, I'm writing this down. It's from my hand. I'm writing down exactly, but it's actually from the one who is and was and is coming. It's from Jesus Christ. And I read this on purpose because, number one, and some of us would go, well, what's the point of even mentioning this? Because it's very important. It is the word of God. Why is that important? Because when Jesus speaks... We should pay attention, okay? Let's, 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 for an example, let's say that Jesus physically, because he, according to the scripture, he could. Have I ever seen Jesus? No. But if Jesus were to walk in this room, stand up here and say, I've got something to say, how many of us would check our phones? No, I'd take my phone and throw it against the wall and wait, okay, I'm ready, okay? Uh, you better hurry up. The Seahawks are playing right this second. No, I would never say that. Forget the Seahawks. Forget everything. What do you have to say? When Jesus is speaking, the church should lean forward, turn an ear. Those who have ears to hear should hear and not go, la, 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 la. No, I don't want to hear it, Lord. And that's exactly what he's saying. This is from the church. Blessed are those who preach it. Blessed are those who hear it. And blessed are those who pay attention to it and do what it says. So this letter is from Jesus Christ himself to you and to me. Revelation 1.11, he goes on. The voice, Jesus says, write what you see in a book or in a scroll, okay? Write it in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. No, it's not to the churches in Philadelphia Pennsylvania. It's not that. Okay. This is another Philadelphia. Don't get confused. Okay. Even though God cares about those churches too. But he goes, I want, you're going to, John, Jesus is looking at him right now. John, you're going to be seeing some images right in front of you. And what you see, I want you to write down. And he's, I could guarantee you going, but how am I supposed to even put it into words? That's why there's so many images, beasts, and there's creatures, and there's things in the book of Revelation that you're like, what is he talking about? I don't even think John could comprehend what he was seeing. 
He's simply going, okay, I, 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 I see something that has this kind of head and this kind of chest and wings like this and talons like that. And I want you to take that and I want you to send it to the seven churches mentioned right there. And then verse 20 is the huge, it's a huge thing because in the first couple chapters, Jesus is going to have two things he's going to say that are very symbolic. They are symbolic. They're not physical. They're not literal. They're very symbolic. And I love how Jesus goes. Now, I'm going to give you some symbolism, but first I'm going to give you the answer to the test. I wish I did that when I was in school. Like they say, we're going to give you the answers to the test before we give it to you. Because it's very important to get, because the book of Revelation has a lot of symbolism, if you didn't notice. A lot of numbers, and you don't know what they mean. And it's okay to read the book of Revelation and still go, huh, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's okay. That's why, that's why people have debated it over 2,000 years, for close to 2,000 years, is because there, we don't know. There's a lot of symbolism. But this symbolism is right in there. He says in verse 20, here is the secret of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. So I want you to use your imagination for a minute. You're John, you're on an island, and you are stuck there. For all you know, you're never going to leave that island. Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, he goes, he, and in his hand, he's got seven gold, he's got seven stars. I mean, imagine, just, it's hard to imagine that. Like, how do you, Jesus can carry stars. Okay, it's bright. He's like, I could see, and I tried, I was going to put a picture on here from, from, uh, you know, someone that actually took a picture back then, no, no, from a painting, and it just didn't do it justice, because in them, he's holding the stars, and around him, he is surrounded by seven golden lampstands, say lampstands, not lamps, not, 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 they're like, they're like, if you want to use this as better, they're like candlesticks. Okay, the candlestick is very important, but there's something even more important on the, from, than the candlestick. The, the, the something that's on the candlestick, the candle, the light. The candlestick is something that you hold up to shine it in a dark area. Okay, so what he sees, he goes, here's the secret. I love this when Jesus actually just says, here's the secret. I'm leaning in. Okay, help me here, Lord. He says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so what's the church represented? Let's just be, let's just walk through this. What is the church according to Jesus right here? You are a lampstand. Okay? If we know Jesus' words already, we know that he goes, he goes, I, he says it twice. I am the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. I want you to get this in complete picture here. How are we the light of the world? Because we represent the lampstands. We're the ones that are, we take the lamp of, of, of God, we take the light of God, and we go into the dark world, and we're carrying it around with us. We don't put it under a bushel, no. We don't let Satan go, it out. Remember those, remember that little kid song? We don't do that. We don't put it under a little thing. We let our light shine for Christ, and that's what we're supposed to do. That's, I love the fact that the church is represented by these, if you want to call them candlesticks, or lampstands. And the seven stars, here's a little bit more interesting. Again, it needs a little bit more interpretation for a lot of people. We even debate about this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. How many of you have ever read that part? The angels of the seven churches. There is at least three different interpretations for that. If you believe it or not, there's a lot of Bible nerds in the world, right? That's all they do. Like, hey, what do you think? No, I don't believe it. What do you think? No, I'm right. So what I'm going to say today is my interpretation, what I really believe, because it's a very practical, this letter is, is, is practical. 
Okay, the letters to the churches are very practical. So even though it says angel, because I think it's really interesting, okay, uh, it, it says that the, they're angels of the seven churches. That's what the seven stars are. Okay, they're these angels. You have to go back to the original word of the word angel. Okay, it's a simply the word that we get for messenger. So there is at least three beliefs to this, okay? This doesn't really matter, but you can wrestle with it yourself. And here's a fun little homework assignment. Just kind of get some, just go into a deep rabbit hole, not too deep, because you can lose Jesus for the entire thing. But just for fun, if you're a Bible nerd, okay, this could mean that every church has an angel, okay? I don't have, I have a, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that maybe an angel can carry the scroll and bring it to them. Number two, the angel, the messenger could be UPS. What I mean by that is that someone comes to the church and goes, where's that letter? And they're the one that put it in their little bag and they carry it to Ephesus. Okay, here you go. It could be them. I don't believe that. The third one for messenger, which I personally believe this, and there's many scholars that believe that these messengers to these seven churches are, you could disagree with that and still go to heaven, that's fine, are the seven pastors of the church. They're the messengers. They're the ones that are going to unroll a scroll and they're going to proclaim it to the church. Okay? That's what I believe. Do I believe every church has a, as an angel, physical, like an angel, like with wings? Yeah, okay, maybe they do, we do. I don't know. Okay, in this instance, and there's a lot of, in the, in the, in the um, Old Testament about messengers and uh, prophets, people who speak for God, are a lot of times they use the same word that we use for angel right here. And so that's part of the reason why I believe this to be a human who is speaking the words that Jesus is going to say. They're proclaiming it to the seven churches. They're the messengers. They're the voice, if you will. Jesus speaks to John, gives the letter to the pastor. He goes, okay, everybody, I'm glad you're at church. I have a special letter for us today. And I'm going to read it to you. Everybody buckle up. You don't know what seatbelts are yet, but you're going, you're, you're, and your, your descendants will buckle up because this is going to be a tough one. Okay. So those are the two things you're going to see that over and over and over and over. Okay. Now, you guys ready for Ephesus, the church in Ephesus letter? You're like, yes. Let's go to Revelation chapter two. Starting with verse one through three, it says, write this to the angel slash messenger, slash pastor, or whatever you want to believe about that. Write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Here it is. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lamps, then says this. Okay, let's be, let's, let's do the obvious. Who is that? Jesus. The one. I love how this English translation capitalizes the, the O, just in case you did not know. Capital O. The one. Jesus. He, holds the seven stars. He walks among the churches. He says this to you, church. I know what you do. Now, that's 50-50. Either that's going to be good news coming up after this or bad news. Okay, but it's good news. He says, I know what you do. I know how hard you work and you never give up. How many of us would want to hear that from Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'd love to hear that. I know that you do not put up with false teachings of evil people. You have tested those who say they're apostles, but really are not. And you found out that they are liars. There's a second thing that they're good at. Number one, you do things for the Lord great. And you just keep going. You just are a hardworking church. Which, by the way, that's a great thing. 
There's nothing wrong with that at all. Jesus is going, I want to, I want to pat you on the back saying, good job. Keep doing that. Number two, this was a church about truth. This, if we can modernize it, they loved the Bible. The pastor would stand up and go, you know what? Without the word of God, don't take my word for it. Don't listen to my words, Pastor Joel's words, because I have a few good advice, but it might not be true. Okay. But as a church, even this one, they elevated not only God, but they lifted up the word of God and said, this is the word of God. They love truth. There are people that came into their church, proclaim that they're leaders, that they're apostles, and their teaching was false. And they went, no, 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 no. Get out of here. And we'll talk about them in week three about who these people are because they make an appearance again. Okay? And then you have patience. How many of us have patience? Don't you think about this as a church? Because this is to a church. Specifically to this church, it's you have suffered for my name and have not given up. Okay, I love that. These are three things that you'd be proud to go to. This is a church that you go, yes. I love the fact that I work hard for God. I never give up. I love the fact that I study scripture and we stand up for truth because that's what a church should do. Did you know that some churches, they don't even open, they don't even crack open the Bible. They don't even crack open the Bible. The fact is, like that is, we're proclaiming the word of God to, to, to the, to us and to all, to me and myself. We're all, that's what we're doing here. We're proclaiming God's word because what he says goes, what he says matters, and we need to not only listen to God's word, we need to be obedient to it. So it's a huge trait. And not only that, but these, this church is going through some rough times. And they're not giving up on God and they're not giving up on each other. That's an important trait. I would be proud to be a pastor there. I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. You would go, sign me up. I want to go there. So there's three things. This is the encouragement part of Jesus, okay? Jesus does not just go to them and go, we need to talk. We, we you know, Have you ever had a staff member or an, a, a, a boss of yours, the first thing they say Monday morning is something negative? And you're like, oh, good morning too. At least, at least, notice something good about my work. Something like that, right? Because if, because this is how he's working here. I love this. Starts with something positive, has some correction, gives him some instruction how to fix that, which is good, and then ends it on a positive. I love it. That's how it should be when we're instructing each other and when we have a brother or sister in Christ who are going down the wrong path, instead of beating them out in the head over a Bible... There's a specific proper way of doing it. Not only tell them what they're doing wrong, help them through it. Jesus does that. Then you get to the next part of this because there's some corrections that need to be said. There's a correction, and it's a major, it's a, it's, it's a doozy. You mess up on this one, Jesus threatens to get rid of the church. And you can look at the stats these days, in the, the, at least in, the, in America, it's staggering. Don't look at the stats because it will give you, make you a little bit depressed. How many churches close their doors? And there's multiple reasons why. We could say the church in Ephesus, which have a rich history, their pastor was Timothy. Their planter was Paul. And here they, look how far they've come 
away from that where Paul planted it and Timothy was the pastor and where John was the elder. He was, he was the man where they looked up to. Because in verse 4, here's the correction. But I have this against you. Hmm. Jesus shows up to the church, stands in front of everybody. He says, you're doing good. You're doing, we're all doing great. Okay. But there's something I have against you. What would you do? I would, I would run to the altar right now. I'd have an altar call. Jesus, say no more. I'm running to the altar or I'm running to your feet. Something like that. I have this against you. What could it be? Well, some of us who read the Bible for you know, it says this. I have this against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. More, more, uh, literal, it would say you've lost your first love. Okay. Which this translation kind of translates it as what that really, what does it mean to have a first love? It could mean, which I think this is true. It could mean first of importance. Number one, Jesus, you're number one in my life. Jesus, you're number one in my, in my attention and my devotion. You're number one. You're it. But more than likely, it's like the flame has died out a little bit and you need to look back at what you had at the very beginning of your relationship with God. And I had this, I had a little exercise I did this week when I was reading this. I stopped at verse four and I said, okay, you have left the love you had in the beginning. And I went back to the very first day I gave my life to Christ. I went to church for a while until I didn't really buy into it. I just had to be there. My parents, like if they, if they could have, they would have pushed me into that Astro van, the Chevy Astro, pushed me in there and drive me to a different city. Cause we were in, a, we were in Puyallup and we went to Sumner Assembly of God and they went, no, you're sitting right here because the pastor lives in the street behind us and he knows where we live, which is true. And the pastor's wife was my mom's boss at Target. So that's how we got to churches because we, I can blame it on, her name is Colleen Rosas. I can blame it on her. She started the whole ball rolling to invite my mom to church and that's where it started. But um, I look at back at October 11th, 1996 and the months that followed as I could do anything for God, I'm going to do it. If I need to go to the, the school and at lunchtime, I'm going to proclaim the Lord. Now, when I got there, I'm all sitting there eating my lunch and I'm going, okay, I got the, and I, I, this chicken, you know, I didn't like public speaking. I was like, I'm nervous. They're going to throw things at me, throw food at me. But I had this memory of going back to the first year of my life with God. And then I compared it with the last couple of years. And I was going, okay, is it the same? Because what Jesus is saying to this church is, you know what? You had a love for me and each other that was great at the beginning. Okay, when Paul the apostle planted this church and then Timothy pastored it, this church was rich in love. And according to John, you know, if you read John's writing, what was he all about? Love. He always mentioned love. He emphasized love, 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 love. Read the letters to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Love, 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 love. You get sick of it. You're like, okay, we get it. You just said it two verses ago, right? And he goes, love. But Jesus is going to the same church that had a rich history in love, and he said, you do not love me, and you do not love each other like you did day one. That's what I have against you. Now, how many of us know that that's a major thing? When Jesus is not number one of a church, it's a club. I remember, this is early on, but I remember I was at youth group one time and we were having worship and just, 
it was the one, I wasn't in charge yet. You know, I'm like just a regular, ordinary individual, just kind of sitting there listening to the pastor, Pastor Tom, who led me to the Lord, was my best man at my wedding, but I felt bad for him because he had a hard time controlling the teenagers. Teenagers aren't always the easiest people to teach and to, to uh, lead, right? I mean, they're scary. They are scary. And so you who teach and are around teenagers, God bless you. Woo, God bless you. And I remember him going, you know, and maybe this is not the right thing to say. I don't know. But he, I remember him saying, this is not a youth group. This is a YMCA. That's what he said. Nothing wrong with YMCA. The history of YMCA is great. But where the YMCA became is a lot long, long away from what it used to be. Okay, if you look at the history of YMCA, but I won't get into that. But that, I remember that. What happens to a church that is not about the love of Christ, not about loving Christ, number one, first love, it, at best it's a club. At best a club. That's what he's saying. So here it is. The title of my message, if you are taking notes, you need to go back to the top and go return to your first love. So Jesus had some encouragement to tell this church. Number one, you, you are a hardworking church. How many of us would think that's a good thing? Of course. Of course. Number two, they love truth or love the Bible. How many of us think that's important? Of course. Any church should be about hard work, working for God, working ministry, and then loving the Bible and, 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 th- and saying, this is the word of God. We'll stand up for truth. And then number three, they didn't give up. You have patience in suffering. That's important. You don't lose heart. As a church, when things are going rough in your church, you don't just, don't just hightail out of here and go, I'm going to go where the grass is greener. No, no, no. You don't do that. You stand up and you go, no, we're going to go. It's like a family. When you're a family, you go through things that are good, the bad, and the ugly. We've never had bad and ugly. We've always had good. Okay? Always, 100% of the time. Now I'm lying. And that's not good. Now, you know, but no, we have stuck together good, bad, and ugly because that's what families do. And that's what the Ephesus church did. That's great. And Jesus says, good job. Here, have a cookie. Maybe he didn't do that. He would do that to me. But he goes, but we need to talk. Family talk. Family talk. Okay, Bremers, let's go up here. Let's family talk. Hayden, You've done some great things, but this I have against you. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever, dad, right? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. But he goes, I have this against you. What is it? You lost your first love. That is the correction. Now, he wants to give the church advice. What I love about Jesus, he doesn't just point his fingers and yell. He gives them the, the solution to their problem. He does right away. I love this. If you're reading this, he's going, good job. Here's a cookie. And then he goes, but we need to talk. He goes, you've left your first love. You don't love me or you don't love each other like you did at first. And then he goes, he goes to the answer. He gives you the answer key, right? He goes, this verse five is the answer. He goes, so the first thing is to remember, put on your thinking caps and go back in time. Remember where you were before you fell. However long that church fell, I have no idea. Notice that. They fell. What does that mean? You were standing strong in me, and now you tripped. You've fallen. How far they've fallen, they fall. Look how far you fell. 
You look up from the ground, you're like, wow, I fell a long way. And then here it is, change your hearts, which the real word is repent, which is another way of saying change, you know, t- change your mind, change the direction of where you're going, uh, uh, admit that you're wrong, and go back to where you are. And he goes, change your hearts and what? Here it is. Do what you did at first. If you're if you're not living for Christ and you need to do things that you did at first, simply do what you did at first. And you know what? I had to take a little inventory of my heart and go, what did I do at first? Because I, it didn't matter if my family or it didn't matter if my best friend Nathan, it didn't matter if any of them, um, I had two really good friends, Nathan and Steve. They didn't buy into the whole Jesus thing when I, when I became a Christian, so I lost their friendships. But I didn't care. It was, I was sad because I knew, I knew both of them since I was in kindergarten. And in 12th grade, they were just another face in the hallway. I, I remember I broke, I, I pretty close to broke my ankle and I'm sitting there. I couldn't go to PE class. So I'm sitting in the, in the, uh, lunchroom and my legs up like this and I'm reading and my friend Nathan comes up. He doesn't even acknowledge me. That's how much, now he became a Christian. God has a sense of humor, but. I had to go back to that moment. I said, I don't care about that. I just want Jesus. And then I went, when I went to Bible camp, the Lord called me into ministry and the rest is history. I, I had to go, what did I do at first that made me not care about man's opinion? What made me not care about, you know, anything else rather than God's will for my life? What is it? Well, that's what Jesus says. You know what? You need to change your hearts. In other words, you need to admit that you're wrong and repent and go, okay, Lord, and then do what you did at first. And here's something I believe that Jesus would say with a tear in his eyes or weeping. What happens if a church doesn't do what he's saying here? Now, let's just talk about the elephant in the room for just a second. Let's just mention it. Do you think that every church in the world, or especially America, do you think that every church is has Jesus as their first love? Let's just admit it. No. They make it everything else but Jesus. It's not about Jesus. Jesus just, okay, we'll let him be here. He can go sit over there. He goes, if you do not change, if you do not repent, I will come to you and I will take away your lampstand from its place. What's the lampstand? The church. He's going to go in there. He is Jesus. He's going to grab the lampstand and he's going to take it and walk away. Why is that? Because they're not a church. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, if you do not see how far you have retracted in your love for him, he's going, he's not going to bless the church. He's not going to anoint the church. And he's not going to be the savior and the Lord of that church that doesn't realize that they have, how far they've fallen. But when a church, they fall and they realize we are, we need to repent. Jesus is right there going, I'm going to let, I'm going to get you back up. I'm going to dust off that lampstand and I'm going to light that candle as bright as I can. And you will shine that light to this dark world. But if you don't do it, he goes, you know what? That candle is not going to be burning any longer. There's no anointing. There's no power. There's no influence. There's no changed lives. There's nothing. So how do we see that again? Allow Jesus to be number one. 
first love. Now, thing you need to know about Ephesus, they love truth, they love working for God, and they did not give up in suffering. They were great. But Jesus goes, you need to be about the love of me at least as much as you do about truth. At least as much as you do about working hard for me in ministry. At least as hard as you do in your patience in suffering. You need to love me like you did at first. That needs to be front and center. That needs to be the goal. That needs to be laser focused. And if you do that, I'll bless you. But if you don't do that, I'm sorry, but I'm going to come in there. I'm going to grab the lampstand and I'm going to leave. Because that's not the church. That's his church. As my pastor would say way back in the day, it's YMCA. I remember being challenged by that when he said that. Not that I, would I say that? I don't know. Did it help them? No. But it challenged me to go, this is not just a club. We need to be about the Lord. Verse 7, I mean verse 6, which this is the encouraging thing at the end. But there is something you do that's right. (laughs) Hallelujah. Which, if you read this, you're like, who is this? We'll talk about that in week 3. You hate what the Nicolaitans do as much as I. Now, how many of us, we go, huh? What? If you read, if you if you come to week three, you're going to know exactly what they do, and their deeds are horrible. Their deeds are evil. Their deeds are wicked. The Nicolaitans were horrible. Okay? And he goes, you know what's great? I'm going to give you a clap on the back again. You don't like what they do. We're going to talk about them week three. What they do, I can't tell you yet. That's called a teaser. Okay, you're going to have to come back for that. But I want you to notice some of this because it's not here on accident. I want you to notice that when, what there, it's okay to stand up against, you know, sin and it's okay to be, to go, I, I can't, I do not like what they're doing because it says you hate what the Nicolaitans do. It didn't say they hate the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans, if you look at them, did horrible stuff. But it never says, hey, church, you did a great job at hating the Nicolaitans. It didn't say that. You hate what they do. You hate their deeds. You hate their sin as much as I. So God doesn't hate this group of people. He loves the group of people. He hates their deeds, their sin. We'll talk about that in another week. Verse 7 is how he ends the letter. Every person who has ears should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to eat the fruit from the tree of life, which is in the garden of God. I love that. Every person who has ears should... Do you have ears? Now, there may be someone in this room or in this in the world that doesn't have the ears or they're deaf, okay? The reality is, if you have ears to hear, it's a spiritual thing, you should listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And he's going to win the victory through, you're going to win the victory through him. And if you do that, you will have eternal life in God's kingdom where there is a tree of life. That means that we'll live forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, there's a letter. It's very challenging. It's encouraging. I love, I love this letter. I do. 
Let me zoom in on the first, the two verses that are very important. Verse four. This I have against you. You have left the love you had in the beginning. Hmm. Now I want you to think about your own life. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like your love for God has grown a little cold? Now let me be blunt. If you're a Christian, a real Christian, you're human, the answer is yes. Every single one of us can go back to a moment where we love God a little bit more. Maybe you got busy. Maybe you got distracted. Maybe you got lazy. The reality is we could all look back to a time when we went, ah, oh, I wish it was like this. That's why I had to go back to October 11th in 1986 and the months that followed. In my mind, I had to relive it. I go, I want that again. I want that again. But how do we get back to that God? Well, it's very simple. We read it, verse 5. Remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts and do what you did at first. Hmm. So there's three things that I did. I identified three things that I did personally that if I were to do these things again and make it about, if my life about these three things, I, I, I guarantee you, I would grow in Christ again. Guaranteed. You can't do these three things and not grow in Christ, period. Number one. Some of you guys might be disappointed, but number one is worship. When I was first a Christian, all I wanted to was to worship. I loved listening to worship music. I loved going home and listening to worship music. No wonder my friends didn't want to hang out with me. It was annoying, right? They're like, really, you singing that? Hillsong? Hillsong in the 90s was pretty popular. <sighs> Eagle's Wings, you know, the song that we sing at the very end. That was one of them, right? I just wanted to worship. I wanted to make it about Jesus. I didn't care. There was a moment in time, I could tell you, I, could, I remember the day where I didn't care what the, if the church thought I was being a little bit zealous for God. We'd, we'd go up front, and it didn't make us more spiritual, I just, I didn't care what it, do you have to go to the front to be, to get more of God? No. But I did that because I just didn't care. I just wanted more of God. I didn't care what it took. Worship became just about Jesus. I didn't care about the song. I didn't care about who was leading. I didn't care about the instrument. I just cared about Jesus. Then somewhere along the way I went, I don't like that song. We went to a youth conference one time and I had to plug my ears. And I promise you, I think you were there too. It was loud. I was like, what have I become? It's not my style. I didn't really know the words to it. I've never heard it before. Well, look at that. If you start dissecting that word with that word and, you know, back in my day, right? I started saying stuff like that. I went, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just picking on myself. Cause I went, now worship became about a certain song that makes me comfortable. That makes me, oh, we're singing Eagle's Wings. Oh, that brings me back to day one. Oh, Lord. I just, and I start swaying like we all do. Like we start, if you, if you record people worshiping and you put it on fast forward, they start going like this. Trust me. 
okay? Everyone, everyone does that. I do that, okay? But all of a sudden, I started, and I, I, I might be standing up here, and I'm like, okay, I want to raise my hand, but there's a certain individual that's here that I don't think that they like me if I'm raising my hand. If I want to experience the first love again, I got to worship like it, like it was at day one, where I didn't care what they thought. All I cared about was pleasing God. And if they make fun of me, fine. They've teased me for years. What's new? Okay? If I want, I need to go back. It's not about the music. It's not about the, sp- the specific instrument. It's not about what instrument we don't have. It's about, not about this. It's not about lighting. It's not about fog machines. We don't have any. It's not about, uh, uh, you know, loud booming music. It's not about that or about quiet, quiet music. It's not about that. Where I went wrong at that youth conference was I can't, I can't worship that this garbage was, okay, so Jesus is like, you can't worship in the middle of this, then you can't worship. That was, I don't know how many years, that was a decade ago at least, 15, I don't know. And that was a challenging moment where I went, nope, I don't want to go there again. If you want to go back to your first love, you need to go back to the worship the way that you loved it the first time, where it was all about Jesus. Number two. Word. I don't know how else to say it, but I say it to myself. If I'm not in the Word of God, I'm not going to grow. It's a fact. If you were to look at my life over the last 30 years, close to 30 years, and you were to see the times that I grew as the times that I was in the Word of God, when I, when I got lazy or distracted or busy and I was in the Word of God, you would see my growth in God plummet. And I'm not saying that as a preacher. I'm not. I'm saying that as a fellow Christian who has had moments in my life where I didn't feel like reading the Word of God. How's that for blunt? Because you think that, you think all pastors, every preacher that you see online, they're always in the Word of God 24-7. Like they got their nose in the Bible the whole time, even when they're driving. You know, oh, I can't read it, so I got to put it in, my, in a CD player. I got to put the CD on. No. Sometimes you wake up, you go, oh, I don't feel like it. But when you read the Word of God, the Word of God gets into you and changes your life and last. Because you're like, how many chapters? I don't know. How many verses? I don't know. Just get in the Word of God and allow God to speak to you. Obey it, but he'll, he's, you're gonna, he's gonna breathe life into you. That's what he's doing. And last, witness. I thought about this. Again, I was not a big, I, I didn't do what I thought I was going to do. I didn't go, I did not go onto this, the table at the lunchroom and start preaching. The guy who was in charge of the youth ministry in the Northwest Ministry Network, his name was Troy Jones. And I remember that story of him going, when he was 12 years old, he became a Christian and he went in the junior high lunchroom. He started preaching. That was not me. Because the moment I had the courage to do it, nope. But God did something in my heart that I had a story to tell. And no, I wouldn't tell it to the crowd, but I'd tell it to someone. Those were things that helped me grow. Those were things that helped me remain in first love mode, where I am about Jesus and about his mission for my life. The moment that I make it about myself and I'm so afraid to tell people about Christ, that's when we start going backwards. And over time, a church can 
minimize their love for Christ. And then what happens? What did Jesus say would happen if they didn't repent of this? What's he going to do? The church can still do services, but there's no mission. There's no point. So as we close in prayer, there's people watching online, those of us who are here. I want to be very serious right now because I just gave you a sermon that had illustrations of my own personal life where I guarantee you I went away from my first love. I made it about anything else. I made it about the ministry more than God. I made it about music style rather than lifting up the name of Jesus. I plugged my ears. It hurt my ears. But instead of plugging my ears and worshiping to songs, that to the singing and, and worshiping God, I went, you know, my day, we had some good Christian music, more biblical. This style is not that biblical, as if style is a biblical thing, but it's not. So your homework assignment, if you got your first, if you're sold out to God, and you're, you're on fire for God, you got the first love, then good, awesome. Go teach a class or write a book or something. You know, pat yourself on the back, no problem. God's done something good in you. But if you're human, and if you've stepped aside from that first love, as we all have from time to time, you have, what do you have guaranteed? What time? Right this second. What do we do if we're lost our first love? Remember how much you've fallen? Repent and do what you did at first. I did simply identify three things that, I, that helped me. Maybe they're the same for you. They probably would be the same three, but maybe there's something else. Maybe you could put fasting. Fasting really helped you. Maybe. Okay? Maybe prayer meetings, that kind of thing. Then identify those things. Let's pray. Father, help me, Lord, to identify those areas that are weak and not not do it in fear because when you correct a church when you when you say there is time you need to repent you're doing it in a loving way because you love the church you love the bride of Christ you love us and you want a church that is healthy and spotless and free and if we're making about everything else but you God sometimes a church can be about all the good things that a church is supposed to do but we're not even about you we lose direction. We're backwards. We don't want you to take away the lampstand. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Help us to be like the church in Ephesus. For them at that moment, it was not too late. For us in the church in America, it is not too late. We can identify what we did at first and do those things and make it about Christ. God, I love you. I know you've loved us first. Thank you for the warning, God. Thank you for the correction. Thank you for help. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday at 7.